0: Hello, and welcome to the Cross-Functional and Friendly Podcast. I'm Nikita Miller, Head of Product at The Knot Worldwide. And today we're excited to speak with Aji Udezue, currently Product Lead at Twitter, about his incredible and varied career.
1: I'm Kristen Hayback, and this is the podcast where we talk all things sales, product, marketing, and maybe more interesting, navigating life a little bit. We're just glad to be able to be spending time here together with all of you. Hi, everyone. My name is Stella Garber. I'm a serial entrepreneur and angel investor, and I'm really excited to reconnect with Aji. So let's just kick things off. Aji, why don't you tell us a little bit about your career journey and start from the very beginning?
2: Ah, Wow. Okay. Well, (coughs) first of all, I'm Aji Udeizue. and just a human on the planet. And I guess I'm a product person in terms of my career specifically. So how far back should we go? So. I'll try to make it dramatic. Right. I finished my undergrad in Nigeria, and I was very determined to leave the country to explore. You know, classic—go explore your dreams, you know, search for your fortune. That whole thing, that whole fairy tale, was exactly my situation. I had gotten into, I think MIT undergrad, but I, my family just couldn't afford it, so. Instead of leaving the country when I was, you know, high school, you know, right after high school, I had to, in my, my storytelling, endure four or five, actually five years of engineering, the engineering degrees at five years in Nigeria. And so at the end of that, I was like, no way that's happening again. And uh, I got into grad school and we still couldn't afford it. And then I went around to family and friends and said, you know what? You should stake me. I am going to grad school. I got in." you know, I'm good for this. And everyone, a few people looked at me, I'm like, yeah, you're good for it. <laughs> so, um, long story short, I got on a plane to Los Angeles because <clears throat> I got into a PhD program at USC and uh, I flew into Los Angeles. So can you, would you guys permit me to tell a story or you want me to just get to yes.
0: it? Yes, full story.
2: Yeah, so uh, I got to Los Angeles, you know, and, you know, the exchange rate was horrible, you know, naira dollar, and I got the cheapest shuttle I could get to USC. I think I got in around noon or 2 p.m., but I got into a shuttle that went all over Los Angeles and I was the last drop. And by the time I got to USC, it was literally like 5.30 and they closed the gate. And this was a Friday. I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles. First time I've been out of the country. And so for the I went next door and I stayed in a really cheap motel called the vagabond <laughs> and then on monday i registered and i started grad school and after the first semester i got a scholarship and sort of the rest is history so all this is to illustrate that the book of my life was super wide open very tenuous you know i didn't know what to expect i just had my dreams and i, I knew what i wanted to do and what was that? Um, sorry mm-hmm.
0: What was the dream and what did you want?
2: I, I just wanted to prove my mettle in the world. You know, I felt like my country was too small for what I, for the things that I wanted to do. And I felt like the United States allowed me to play with people who I couldn't even imagine and dream being alongside. And that was my dream. I, and I didn't know enough, you know, we're still super early in all the things that we're doing today. I didn't know enough to know what I wanted, what I just wanted to create, to put my mark in things. And so... After that, after, you know, great grad school, worked on a bunch of things and did a lot of research, actually. I started working at a startup that wanted to productize the research I did in grad school. And from there, I went to Microsoft and very quickly became a product manager and worked on a lot of really great products from Windows, Internet Explorer, to search, consumer products. And towards the end of my time there, I was, I started getting itchy again. I, it just didn't feel like the spot for me. And I tried a few things. I got into business school. I switched to marketing. I switched to become a marketing lead. And I spent two years doing that. But mm-hmm. at the end of that, I still wasn't satisfied. I was having like a quarter-life crisis. And so I left Seattle, which had been my home for a long time, with my young family and moved to Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I started working for a hedge fund.
0: Ah, huh, the dark uh, side.
2: Bridgewater associate, so... Oh,
1: the real dark side. <laughs> yeah,
2: who's listening? Who's listening? Uh, I worked, ultimately, I worked for Ray Dalio, right? As doing product. So some internal stuff, some external stuff. I stayed a year there, and but I was already pregnant. I'd already been working on a startup even before I left Microsoft. After a year there, I decided to give birth to the startup. So I went and did that full-time for three years. The startup, well, there are two things happening. The startup didn't prosper as much as I wanted. But also, I had a ton to learn about how to build a startup. I just didn't know enough at the time. So I exited the startup and then that's actually when I moved to Austin. So I didn't really want to stay in New York after after that was done. I felt like New York didn't have the kind of talent. I struggled to find the right talent, the right skill sets I needed. I felt to build a company. And so I moved to Austin because I felt Austin was the next great tech city. And uh, I started working for another company as one of the first product people, product directors, and then I found Atlassian. And uh, Atlassian was, it was just incredible. You know, I was the first heard of product in communications division. That's where I met Nikita. When a trailer was acquired, I got to m- work with Mike and Scott closely, Mike specifically, and uh, built some cool stuff. And then we sold my, my division. We sold a bunch of the IP And I moved on to Calendly and at Calendly, I got to work with Tope, who's an exceptional CEO, exceptional product person, product instincts. And I sat alongside him and helped really scale the company. And from the time I was there till the time I left, we 5X'd all the metrics of the company from 20 to about a hundred million AR. And, but the thing about working at Calendly was It was tough on my personal life. I was traveling every week for almost two years. I was worse than consultant hours. You know, I'd leave on Monday morning. I wake up at 3 a.m. And I'd be in Atlanta at 9 a.m. And I'd leave on Thursday night. And I did this for, like, religiously for almost two years. And, you know, my kids were getting to the point where they were asking rude questions about that (laughs) stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so I took a step back from that, spent some time consulting, working, and helping, trying to transform a company called Parcables, sort of sales-led motion to a product-led motion, which I've been doing for some time with Kelly at Atlassian as a chief work officer. But ultimately, that wasn't my calling. It just didn't feel like quite the right the right fit for me. So when Twitter called... Actually, not when Twitter called. I already said moving. You know, I was very transparent with the CEO. I said moving towards leaving, Re- hired some people to replace me, and then when Twitter called, I just jumped at the opportunity to lead a team I was working on a super iconic product in the world. Which, frankly, I feel is irreplaceable. It's like the global hive mind, or at least has the potential to be that. And that's where it is. So that's the that's the cliff notes. Okay. Yeah. I have a lot of
0: questions. So big questions. So you left, you had this dream, you were going to make your mark. So I, in my mind, that's the, you were living both the Nigerian dream and the American dream. Yep. Right? Where are you on that journey?
2: I feel like a total failure. Oh, <laughs> no, dear. No, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. So I've had, you know, I, I gave, this was a speed run through my, my career, but all the little Stops have been very rewarding. Microsoft was incredibly rewarding. I, Besides my work, I got to invent at Microsoft. Microsoft was still a technology company. So we'd run into problems. And unlike product people these days, sometimes we had to invent a way out of it. And so I have 12 patents from my time at Microsoft, just because there were no solutions sometimes. <laughs> we just had to make it up. And It helped out, you know, people like me, anyone can be a PM. I've seen English majors be PMs, music majors be PMs. But the special thing about people who come from engineering is that you can actually go very deep on the problem if you want to. And so working with developers, we sometimes came up with super novel solutions, to problems Mm -hmm. like search, problems like ads, problems like safety on the internet, This all kinds of different things and even some design patents all of those things contributed to my confidence my 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 narrative to myself that i was i could potentially be unstoppable that i i could because you know microsoft in particular in the era that i was there microsoft was one of the best companies in the world it still is but the most important thing about it was that it hired some of the smartest people in the world that was just their, their, in fact, Microsoft sort of wanted to reserve talent. They understood, Microsoft and still understands that having great talent is a, is a real advantage. It's a real competitive advantage. And their the recruiting was designed to find that and keep it. In fact, they had a whole research, spent so billions on research, sometimes I suspect, just to keep great talent occupied and not on working on product stuff, right? So they could have it on tap. But the thing about that was that it was a very competitive environment. A lot of people that I, you know, my peers had never, ever failed at anything in their entire life up to that point. And now they were put in a position with other people where they could fail because everyone was good. And so if you sort of survived it, you had the chance to say, you know what? I am amongst the best. And so Microsoft helped my confidence and all the things I accomplished I felt very proud of. Obviously, I've moved away from that and I've learned new tricks in the last decade since I've been out of that environment. But oh, this is to say that in my professional life was very fulfilled from that start. And even my non-professional stuff, I started Africans at Microsoft. We were with Blacks at Microsoft. So we built. I built a community around myself that was inclusive, intersectional, even before we had that word. And. So the, the, the personal part of my professional life was also very fulfilling as well. Mm-hmm. And so that. Uh, I had a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. On, on that note for a minute. So there was, there was this magical moment a few years ago where you were head of product at Calendly working with Tope, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Two very strong, successful, smart Black men in tech, which we don't see a lot of that partnership. Can mm-hmm. you chat a little bit about that experience in particular?
2: Well, I think... I'm going to be respectful and say was Batman and I was Robin, but it's funny. The first call I took at Cowley was literally at, at Atlassian because I was uh, thinking about what was next after I saw what was coming with the divestion of the communications division. And honestly, I, had, I didn't know he was a black person. I didn't even know he was Nigerian. He was a cold outreach. And then as I began to talk to them and to him, I understood that and I became even more intrigued by the possibility. And he and I talked about this. We talked about what it would mean to the world if both of us helped each other succeed and become even more successful. In practice, we didn't we didn't play that up too much because we had a very diverse team of all kinds of people and playing it up too much would be it would devalue the work of other people like two Nigerians in America successful etc but we, we also didn't like not talk about it or <clears throat> downplay it we just did it. we just it was just hopefully the right amount apologies hopefully the right amount of apologies people hopefully the right amount of of companionship and and partnership but, you know, ultimately, I think, we, were, you know, we had a great partnership, we sp- had great professional moments. And we also had great personal moments, lots of great conversations. But obviously, it wasn't meant to be, you know, from what we are forever. But we still hang out all the time. He's such a smart, uh, very focused founder, focused executive. And so every time I have the opportunity to hang out with him in Atlanta, I will see him. If he's in Austin, we will catch. And, uh, you know, he's, he's doing incredible. I, I used to tell him all the time, even before we hit a hundred million, that he'd be the richest man in Nigeria. And we'd laugh about it.
1: (laughs) Your mom must have been so proud, like two Nigerians in America, running the tech billion dollar company. Yeah. Amazing.
0: You talked a little bit about, you were a founder Mm-hmm. At points, you went big companies, smaller company, startups, and we've talked about those transitions a little bit in our own careers. What, have, what considerations have you made in those transition moments?
2: Yeah. So I think, I think it starts with Microsoft gave me a bunch of confidence from a professional standpoint. And the community I gathered around myself also gave me a ton of confidence, and I think it was healthy. You know, one of the things I try to do, wherever I am, because you know, I was a singleton. I came to United States just by myself and I'm married now. I have kids, but I also try to build a big community around me. And that's what all the, you know, the employee ERG groups, leadership was all about. So what I, I feel like I spent, you know, if I, when I look back, I feel like I spent maybe two to four years too long at Microsoft because, you know, my idol left you know, Bill Gates left Microsoft and went to the Gates Foundation and he sort of tapered down his thing. And I kept telling myself, damn, if Gates is gone, I'm gone, right? But I think I spent four more years after he was gone. And I don't know why I, I, I sort of benchmarked it that way. It was just something in the back of my head. But well, the entire point though of saving those years was I had wanted to convert them into founding years. And so as... The time went on i i started feeling a lot of pressure a lot of pressure to do something to change things and like i tried different things business school marketing blah blah but ultimately like i said i was pregnant with a startup and i went through several iterations of the different things i wanted to start and by the time i had joined bridgewater i was still super pregnant and decided to start it now one of the big considerations at the time was I had wanted to do these things. Before. I,
0: I'm sorry, I have to interrupt because you have three moms here who are just giggling every time you say that you're super pregnant with this startup. Talk, <laughs> what what did that mean?
2: Pregnant for me was it was I dreamt about these startups. I dreamt about these problems. I dreamt about the impact of these solutions. It was just something I couldn't let go. Anyway, but I had wanted to start things before I had any kids, and then. I hadn't started anything when I had kids and et cetera. So I just felt like I was behind the things that I wanted to do. So when I was at Bridgewater, I just decided to pull the trigger. I calculated that the kids wouldn't remember if I was super busy and burnt the candle at both ends and that we would figure it out. Now, one of the things that my wife and I had done... early on even when we couldn't afford it was we got who pairs we got the nanny right we literally couldn't afford it the first time we did it But well, she's also a product executive at this time and i wanted to i didn't want to do the classic thing of i'm out working till eight nine and she can't right because she is more the nurturer right? And I didn't want to sort of switch it either and be in that because I just wanted to give both of us space to grow in our career. So we invested in a nanny and we've had, we had one for most of the time for the children's childhood. Now I totally recommend something like that. My kids are now 11 and 13. They generally don't remember one to five or one to six, right? But parents stress about the experience of one to six and you're doing it for yourself they won't remember so i wanted to pack in i know moms are, maybe moms will disagree with me but i wanted to pack in as much entrepreneurship as possible so it was a big consideration for me for when i did that startup because i calculated that by the time they were older the cost of being absent would be much higher right i did want to be with them one to five but you you, you can't have perfection you have to you have to sort of make some kind of trade-off and I, the trade-off i wanted to make was earlier is when i want to do this because when they're older and they're developing into people and the, and and you know individuation i wanted to be there for that mm-hmm. uh, that was my you can also see in the time with Cowley that the pressure started coming right because they were literally able to interrogate my choices which had never done before and so Could I have done another year, maybe, but that wasn't necessarily the right thing. So there's always been this consideration of what kind of parent do I want to be and how much do I want to push on my career and what I want to do that has been sort of an underlying current to some of my career choices.
1: How did you meet your wife?
2: Oh wow. This is gonna be Oprah level, Oprah level awesome. So we met long, long time ago, but we didn't date for most of it but we've known each other for a long time even from nigeria and you know she i did undergrad in nigeria she came to the united states to do her undergrad and then we reconnected years later when i was here and based on that familiarity and trust you know we started dating and eventually got married okay. cool.
1: sorry nikita i cut no, you
0: off that's that's awesome i am um... I also, I have many questions. Again, I like this framing about how, you know, we had similar conversations about what to do in the next few years and landed somewhere similar, which is the kids won't remember very much of the first four or five years. So if there's a moment to take risks, this might be it. Mm -hmm. And you know, my my oldest, Miles Henry, is only four, but he's starting to interrogate. So I know that time is already. You can see the moment changing, where you just can't not be there for a lot of it. So it's nice to hear that you all had these considerations as well.
2: No, it's it's this is a really important one, and I guess it's I, I think it's harder for moms. I think, but I you like I said, it's a trade off, and you have to be sort of. You know, to me, I'm an immigrant, and I, I try to maintain my immigrant. I'm an American citizen too, just to be clear, but I try to maintain my immigrant spirit in the sense that I really think hard about the trade-offs I have to make. Sometimes, you know, in America, we talk about, oh, women can't have everything, but the reality is, no one can have everything, no one. And people who come to this country know that especially clearly. And so, it's really about choices, and some of them are hard. Of course, it'll be. Better to spend scads and scads of time with your kid when you're three to six. But what else are you giving up? And are you making sure it's a, an affirmative trade-off? Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing that you have to think about. I, look, I in, 20, in 2010, I had a baby, bought a new house, started a business degree. I was living at 11 for almost five years. These are things that most people don't do and they wouldn't invest in, but I did because I, there was something I was shooting for and I didn't want to be stopped.
0: We've asked this question to everyone, MBA, yes or no?
2: <laughs> oh my God. Do you want the, do you want the- No, uh, we need the real answer. you want a real talk? We need the real there, talk.
1: This is an ongoing thing <laughs> because I am the only non-MBA in the room every time. You're asking if you're gonna, I'm basically asking you to validate my life choices for no pressure.
2: <laughs> Your life is so valid. There's actually like a, a woman here in Austin who has a Medium post out there about this conversation I had with her. And I remember having, I'm going to name drop some other person who used to work for me. Cameron Savage He used to work for me at uh, Lassian. Actually, he didn't work for me. He worked for someone who worked for me. But he asked me the same question. You know, MBAs are, first of all, they are no panacea that they, they, you can do an MBA and not accelerate your career at all. It's really one of those gifts that you have to work you have to work it for it to work for you why did i get an mba as a black man i didn't want anyone to say that i couldn't have access to an opportunity just because i didn't want i didn't want someone to count me out because of some credential as it is i have two mbas one from berkeley one from columbia I have a master's degree in engineering and a bachelor's in engineering. So that's like three postgraduate degrees.
0: Overachiever. <laughs> totally, totally Nigerian.
2: Typical Nigerian stuff.
1: Borrow one. You have three.
2: But it's, it's, it's shock and awe. It's like when I walk into a room, I don't want anyone to say, oh, yeah, he doesn't know. No, no one is ever going to say that. But I think I only say that not to shock or to be sensational. But to if a black person in product asks me if they need an MBA, I'd say, go get it. Right, Because you might be in a situation where someone wants to eliminate you from from the, from the running. If someone, if someone who's white asks me that, I'd say it's more optional. Because people don't eliminate you the same way. And that's just the truth of the careers and the career trajectory that I've seen across multiple people. I can't tell you how many people, brilliant people, but African or African-American at Microsoft who didn't get promoted for years, who got overlooked all the time. I, and I know this because I was president of Africans at Microsoft and, and Blacks at Microsoft. And so I could see thousands of people and their career trajectory. So I had lots of samples. So it's, I think it's nuanced, right? Now, I, I think, but also, by the way, I will be eventually be wrong. I will, it, the, the advice mm-hmm. I'm going out will eventually be, hopefully we're moving to a much more equal world where maybe 10 years from now, 20 years from now, if you ask me the same thing, I'd be like completely optional for everybody. But I think if you're high ambition, and you want to get to the highest level, so relative to ambition, if you're a person of color, you should think really think hard about it. If you're not, I think it's way more optional. I know that's not the field real talk. That's why we asked.
0: helpful.
1: I would say that that's a very. I mean, it's a perspective we haven't heard and it's because you know it's it should be said right and and i think it's not something everybody thinks about and so it's it was really very interesting so i appreciate you sharing
0: yeah i tend to agree that's why i did it it is very expensive (laughs) so so make sure your ambitions are aligned with the cost you're about to take on because it's not like you get it and then magically everything works out right
2: you have to work it Yeah, But honestly, in my case, it's worked out, like my income jumped significantly. And, you know, eventually I could afford, I'm always the kind of person who bets in the future. I bet on myself in the future. And even though the costs seem crazy, I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to shoot over it and, and afford it.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Why uh, the second NBA? I mean, I how to ask that question? I understand. The first.
0: He already answered. He said because well, he's Nigerian.
1: I understand the first, <laughs> but I I am very curious in <laughs> <of> the second.
0: <laughs> I love I love that. Yeah. So
2: the, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a trick. So I got into an MBA program, executive MBA program, for two schools. So Berkeley and Columbia had the Berkeley Columbia executive MBA program, and they gave me two. MBA simultaneously because I spent time in uh, in New uh, York you know uptown yeah. in Columbia learning all the you know sort of traditional MBA marketing finance and so on and so forth and the other half the time I spent in Berkeley doing early stage hanging out with Steve Blank and you know so t- technology strategy courses so it was mm-hmm. sort of the best of both worlds and they 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 bestowed on me one of each and so that's why I have them.
1: That's awesome. Nice. Thank you for claiming. I thought it was Um, like, you know, one of those old school, like someone's a doctor and a lawyer and a barber and a dentist. So I just needed to understand what the two
2: MBAs are. Both of my parents had PhDs, they were very into the the book thing. And my sister is a doctor. And so when I got the MBAs, I went to my sister and my parents and, like, I have three now. Can I be an honorary doctor? Nope. Is that that a thing? Can I add up? I'm sure they very much
0: appreciate it. (laughs) I'm going to wrap up in a minute, but you just reminded me. So you mentioned this investing in yourself for the future. You're also an angel investor.
2: Yes. Is that right? Can you
0: chat with me a little bit about those investments and especially some of the work you're doing investing companies on the continent in Africa?
2: So when I started my startup in Connecticut, New York, I started getting calls from the continent to come either be CEO or lead product and companies there because there was this technology renaissance and these proto-unicorns being built in Africa. But again, I was hell-bent on building something. So it was just not an option, even though some of it was very lucrative. So I started to think, I'm like, okay, I can't go... I can't do these things simultaneously. I got to build a company in the United States. I'm not, and I didn't want to go back and do an African thing with my life at the time. And so I started thinking, well, how can I eat my cake and have it? And I decided that the thing that I would do, which I had been thinking about for some time, because I'm very intentional like that, was to actually start an investment vehicle where instead of me taking the risk, I invest in people who are taking the risk. So that was sort of a, a sleight of hand that I could do with money versus my time. And so I started kernel fund. And uh, so on nights and weekends, I was basically playing VC and I got to, you know, write the first money in a lot of startups and try to fulfill dreams of very brilliant people and also start to learn, like I wasn't good at this. When I started, I got better uh, with time and actually, you know, some things didn't work, but I feel like. With all the deals we've done, we've had some that are really good, and in fact, we're going to exit one of them this year, and the returns have been really amazing. I want to actually—I'm thinking about kicking that up a notch. When I, I just came back from Nigeria and I did a whole media tour talking about venture capital and what's happening with the—you know—with you know, you know inflation and the market downturn and how that's in, you know impacting venture and venture dollars and investing. And part of the reason I did that was I wanted to draw more attention to the fund and start to establish myself as a go-to person to talk about these things and the implications of these things. So over the next 18 months, I'm probably going to sort of go bigger on that stuff, but I can't talk about it in more detail than that.
0: All right. We'll bring you back in 18 months. (laughs) You can talk about more then. All right. And our final question that we've been ending on with everyone, which is, If you could give your 20-year-old self some advice, what would it be? Wow,
2: I'd say invest in the market earlier. That's one thing. I didn't understand it enough to do it as early as I wanted. Two would be time. Time is the only thing we don't have. So how do you find ways to do more with your time to amplify your time? I've always been super aware of that. Obviously, no one is ever as aware as they should be about it. And so I would do something so that my younger self will pay even more attention to how we spend the time, be a life force, which is really what you use time for. And I guess the third thing is just don't worry so much. You know, the thing that I do, which I have, do less and less of the wiser I get, is I constantly live in the future. I feel like I live somewhere between two seconds to 20 years in the future all the time. And I think with that comes some level. I don't want to use the word anxiety because I'm not anxious at all, but always thinking about what's next instead of enjoying the moment. And so I would tell myself to enjoy the moment more, more and more and more. As I get older, I'm doing that, but I wish my younger self did that as well.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Aji. This has been wonderful. And thank you, dear listeners, for joining us today. This has been the Cross-Functional and Friendly Podcast. Check out our other episodes at crossfunctionalpodcast.com and follow us on Twitter at XFunctionalPodcast. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, all.